want to continue our series this evening, and we're shoehorning this series in a little bit. We're usually in Revelation. We're in uh, Revelation chapter uh, 20, and into 21, um, and we're usually doing that on Sunday nights. But just off the back of Easter, off the back of the baptisms, I wanted to look at this little series on the church, on the local church, entitled I Love My Church. But, and we, as I said this morning, we looked at the first message in there, I Love My Church, but I'm drifting. And uh, unfortunately that didn't get recorded because I think it's a really helpful message. Um, certainly for me and, you know, personally, to really have a focus on my walk before the Lord and, and to guard for drifting. And uh, the technology let us down that day. So what I am planning to do is maybe just cut it down, condense it and release it in a, on the kind of podcast so you can get the audio for it in little, little sections about drifting, the dangers and what to, to watch for. Then we looked at getting stuck in a rut because if we're not drifting, sometimes we're stuck in a rut. You know, you're, you've had that in your Christian experience, I'm sure. You can vouch to that where, you know, you're not going backwards, you feel you think you're, you're not going forward. You're just stuck in this place where, you, you know, there's no backwards or forwards. There's, there's nothing. Really, there is no stagnant position. That's a drift. It's just a very slow drift. But we can get that feeling of being stuck in a rut. But if we can get out of that and get, get involved, then we have to look at the local church and, and say, um, you know, we love our church, but maybe you're not a member of the local church. And maybe you want to know what that is. So we're going to look at that. That's what we're going to look at tonight um, and have a, have a look in here and see what is the local church. You may have heard the term the universal church. And somebody may say, you know, are you part of a local church? And somebody may say, no, uh, I'm not, but I am part of the universal church, which is a bit of a cop-out, really. But we're going to look at these terms and then we're going to look at, for each of them, the kind of privileges, the obligations, and how do you become a member of each and, and then really uh, just look through it quickly. So really I'm just teaching you about ecclesiology tonight and the doctrine of the local church and why I think it's important to be a, a member and what the difference between the membership of the universal church and the local church is. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to let scripture speak. I'm going to add some bits in, but we are going to do a lot of scriptures. So if you have your Bibles, get them ready. Get the batteries in them. Get your electronic things or whatever you're using because we're going to go through and look at these scriptures and, and say and, and really kind of peg this down a little bit and, and identify this for us this evening. But before we do that, we'll ask the Lord to bless us, to help us, to guide us, to lead us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time where we can come together. I thank you for the time and opportunity tonight to come and share your word and to really just uh, teach on this truth of the local church and the importance of identification with the local church and lord the the privileges it brings the obligations it brings we also lord want to look at the universal church and and realize there are privileges and obligations there too and we thank you for them also lord we pray that your the scriptures would help us and guide us as we build the case for local church membership and lord again um, we want we want you to have the the platform this evening so lord i pray you would use me Lord, help me. Um, help me and guide me in my weakness. Give me strength, I ask you, Lord. I pray that you would give me the words to say and, Lord, to say the right things at the right time and to not say the wrong things. So, Lord, help me. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're dealing with this concept, this kind of 
concept of church membership, of local church. And I mean, that's a good question to be asking in a church. And I understand not all churches hold to a membership form, but there is always a rough structure. And, and as we're a Baptist church, and that's because I believe in the Baptist distinctives that have been handed down. Um, unfortunately, today, the name over the door doesn't mean much. In, in any church context, really. You have to get inside and, and see what's going on and see what's being taught. But, you know, I'm a Baptist and we believe in, in church, church membership and, and we're going to look at it. So when, when people talk about church membership, there's always questions that, are, that arise. Um, positive, negative, it may evoke feelings, it may not. Some people have been well for it. Some people completely against it. Some people have been burned by it. Some people have been hurt by it and therefore uh, want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and honestly, in, in Christendom, that happens more than in any other area in the entire world, secular world. It does. We, we judge Christendom by our bad experiences, not actually how it's meant to be. Because at, at, at the hand of local church, although God sits over a sovereign, it's fronted by people. And people are sin. They have a sin nature and people do wrong things. Christians are Christians. That's the, the way it goes. But are the principles wrong? Are the core to really want to be signed up to a local body and, and have some involvement in that? Are they wrong principles? No. Are they misused at times? Yes. Absolutely. But that doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make it a wrong idea. Um, but there's so, so many different concepts. Like I said, some people will say, I don't need to be a member of the local church because I'm a member of the universal church. Now, I'm using that term universal. Number one, I like that better than Catholic. I'm sorry, I'm from Northern Ireland. I can't say Catholic too much without get. I just can't, right? It's not in me. But that's what Catholic means. It means universal. So the, the Catholic church, if you look at kind of any of the early creeds, when they talk about the church, they talk about the one true Catholic church. It's the universal church. The Roman bit get added. The Roman bit get added. But we'll call it the universal church. And so when we're, we're dealing with the church as, as the body of Christ, I, I really do believe the Bible speaks of two kind of distinctives. That universal aspect and the local aspect, and we're going to look at that tonight. So, first thing we're going to do, we're going to have a look at the local church. So, what do we want to do with that? We want to define it. That's what we want to do. If we're going to start somewhere, here's, here's the major premise, I think, in all of Christian debate today. Define your terms before you start. Define your terms before you start. Why do I say that? Because not everybody is working with the same definition of the terms that are being used. So you could be saying a word, they could be saying a word, you think that you're aligned with the word and it pulls apart. You have to define. It's said, he who defines uncontested wins. Now, if I give a definition, nobody agrees, disagrees with it, then it's a definition. We have, to, we have to look at these terms. So what is the universal church? Number one, the universal church is the church that Christ promised to build. The universal church. Is the church that Christ promised to build. Matthew 16. We'll start with a famous passage. Matthew 16. And like I said, this is going to be scripture after scripture. So, Matthew 16. And verse number 18. I've been changing Bibles back and forth over the last couple of weeks. And it's really thrown me. <laughs> This happens all the time. Whenever I change, change my Bible, I lose the weight of the pages. Anyway, Matthew 16, 
verse number 18. One, um, personally, one of the passages I love, just if you've been to Israel, um, if you went to Israel with me, actually, um, David and a few others here uh, went. I don't think anybody else from, from went with me. No, 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 my last, my last trip. No, my last trip. We went before. Um, but part of, part of them, uh, I was doing that last week as well. Is it your phone close to there or something? No? Mm. All right. Matthew 16 and uh, verse 18. This great confession of, of Peter and then Jesus says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That is the universal church. Right? It's, it's, it's the universal church. It's not the local church in specific individuals. Because we could say, if, if Jesus was talking about specifically a local church there, we could point and say, well, actually, Jesus, that, the gates of hell have prevailed against some local churches. How do I know that? Drive through Stoke. Drive through Stoke. How many, how many church buildings are now houses? It's just the way it is. But Christ talking about the universal church. Um, the body of Christ. Turn to Ephesians 1, verse 22. So the church universal is the church that Christ promised to build that the gates of hell will not prevail against. This is the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, verse 22. It says, And put all things under his feet, and gave unto him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the universal church, when we talk about the body of Christ, that's what we're talking about, this corporate concept of the church universal, which is related to the local church, but is, is different. Look at chapter 4 of Ephesians in verse 4. There's only one body or church. Ephesians 4.4, 4, there is one body, one spirit, even as you're called in the hope of your calling. There is one body. So when we're dealing with the universal church, there is only one universal church, one body, one body. We'll see when we get to local church, there are many local churches. We know that. We, we live that. This one body is made up of individual members. Turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. This universal body, this church, is made up of members. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So the definition of the universal church that we're going to use, that we're looking at Scripture to see, is that the universal church is that church which Christ promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against it, that he would build his church. That universal church is his body. There is only one body. And that body is made up of individual members that make up the church universal. So the universal church consists of all Christians. All Christians in the church age. All Christians. Under one head, Christ. We make up the body. That's the church universal. Now, that's the definition. What about the privileges? And there are privileges of being part of this. Here's, here's, the, here's the great 
privilege, the greatest privilege of all. The most important privilege. Ephesians 5, verse 23, turn there for me. Ephesians 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Church universal. For he is the saviour of the body. He's the saviour of the body. So, if you're part of the universal church, you're saved. When you give your life to the Lord, when you come to him, repentance and faith, you realize you cannot save yourself, that he needs to save you. And at that point, you're made alive in Christ and you're placed in the body. You're part of the church universal. That's the privilege that it's an exclusive club, I'm afraid. It's through the blood of Christ that you gain entry into the church universal. He is the saviour of the body. He's the head of the body, and he is the saviour of the body. So the privilege we have is that if we're in the church universal, we are saved, and, and glory to God for that. It's all of him and nothing of us. And then as we are in the body, we are saved, we enjoy spiritual blessings. Look at chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, in the body, as he is the head. In the church universal, the privilege we have, we are blessed with spiritual blessings. One of those blessings is the forgiveness of sins. What a blessing that is. One of those blessings is the privilege of prayer. That you cannot come to God in relational prayer outside of being part of the church universal. I want you to get that concept. Because the only prayer that we can pray to God as an enemy of God is, God, I repent, forgive me and save me. This relational prayer where we're calling on God to you know, work with us and in us and through us doesn't happen unless you're a member of the universal church. One of the privileges of being saved in Christ is that we can come to the throne of grace boldly. We're part of the body. He is the head. We walk together to that throne of grace and Christ is presented before the Father. He is what the Father sees when he looks at us. That's grace. That's the privilege of being part of the church universal. So there are privileges, but there are also obligations. Ooh, nice rain that... No, he's ruined it. Can we not just stick with the privileges? That's obligation. No, no, no. You're a legalist. Well, what are we to do? Turn to John 15. John chapter 15. Here's one of the obligations. We're to remain connected to the head of the body, Christ. John 15, verses 1 to 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is a husband, man. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring more, forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you. 
Even you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Verse 7 says, If ye abide in me, my words abide in you. So here's one of the obligations for those that are uh, in the church universal, those that are saved. Before we ever get down to local church level, here's your obligation. Abide in Christ. Abide in Him. I mean, three words that are so powerful when applied. Three little words. Abide in Him. That's the key to success. Abiding in Him. Now, we talked about it, I think, last week when we were talking about drifting. You know, the great uh, hymn, Come Thou Vine of Every Blessing, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Wandering is the opposite of abiding. We abide in him. That's the obligation. That we are saved, that he is the head of the body. We've been placed in him. Stay in him. Stay in him. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Not only are we to remain connected to the head, but we are to function as part of the body. Ephesians 4 verses 15 to 16 says this. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitted jointly together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I love this for numerous reasons. But if you think this through... The body of Christ is a self-feeding system. Any other system in the world that takes in anything for energy runs out and needs more. What this is telling me is that if we abide in Christ, we know that we're part of the body, we allow him to be the head, and that we walk in him and we serve him, that it fuels us. It doesn't deplete us, it fuels us. And actually our depletion comes when we're not working, it's absolute paradigm shift. It's polar opposite the way the world works. The, the Christ is saying here, or Paul is saying here, that the, the, the way to, to be energized is to serve in the body. And that will fuel you. And round it goes. That's an obligation. It's an obligation to remain connected to the head. It's an obligation to do our part in the body. It's an obligation to love the brotherhood. That's what the KJV uses. Um, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 17. Now for the sake of time, there's some other verses in Peter, but we're not going to get there. Because we want to get through this tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood. What does that refer to, really? Love the church. Universal. All the believers. These are obligations of those that are part of the universal church. Now again, I'm saying to you this afternoon that if you're saved, you don't have a choice about being part of the universal church. You are the universal church. You're in it. By default, you don't sign up for this. You don't go on, I want to do a course in this. You're in this. 
The obligations are here. You reap the privileges, you live out the obligations. Now, if you're not living out the obligations, it's not going to rob you of your salvation, and that's works. We live under grace. But, but, there is a call, there is an obligation that membership of the church universal has its obligations. So how do you become a member? Like I said, simply trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. The message of salvation, of hope, of life, of newness in life. To walk a new and living way. That we're dead in trespasses and sins. We come to him. We're saved. He, he, he brings us alive through the Spirit. Now we're in communication with God. Body, soul, and spirit. Walking as we should have walked. Except we fail in the garden. To have fellowship with God. To be part of the body. We have this newness of life. Now. It's my prayer and my hope. Honestly. But the, the thing is, I, I, believe it or not, cannot read your mind and see your heart. I can see your actions and I can make a judgment call on your life and the fruit that you produce as to whether you are part of the church universal. But you may sit here tonight and are not part of it. I don't know. There may be somebody listening at home who's not part of it. My, my, my prayer to you is to make tonight the night, today the day, this hour the hour, where you gain entry into the church universal because the door to this might be closed for you tonight or tomorrow. You don't know that. You don't know that. Paul says, now is the accepted time. He writes in Corinthians, he quotes Isaiah. He says, now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Imperatively, now. Now. Don't delay. Now, if you are part of the church universal, you are saved and you're born again, you say, well, what about the local church? What, what, what do we, what, what's the difference? Is it not okay just to leave it at the universal church? I mean, we've got obligations, we've got privileges, we've defined it, pastor, we'll just, we'll just leave it there. Well, the local church is, is a little bit different. So let's look at the definitions. The local church is a local group of believers that meet together in a locality. The universal church does not meet in a locality because it is one body across the world. You know, the universal church worships today across the world, different time zones all over the place. You're connected in one body. But the local church are various autonomous bodies, different bodies. Look at 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 1 and verse number 1. One Thessalonians one one it says Paul and Savinus and Timotheus onto the church of the Thessalonians. So pointing to a church in a local area, church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here. Paul writes, and he refers to the church of Thessalonica, the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ooh, sounds like two bodies, doesn't it? In the Father and in the Son. But Paul doesn't have a problem. 
Paul, the one that knows exactly what the local church is, exactly what the universal church is. The one that writes about the one body now talks about two bodies. Does Paul not know what he's talking about? Absolutely not, God forbid. He knows what he's talking about. He knows that he's not referring to two bodies here, he's referring to one body. He says this local church is part of the church universal. In God, in the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the church universal. But he points to a local church. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says this, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. Churches, plural, throughout. So all these different churches. Not one body, but many. Many. Now, again, people argue that the Bible doesn't specifically talk about membership uh, as, a, as, a, as a formalized thing, but I think you can infer it. I think you can infer it. Um, look at Romans 16 and, and verse number 1. So, the universal church has membership by default of salvation. The local church is more a localized thing, and it's more a personal thing in relation to the other believers as opposed to your relationship with God. Romans 16, verse 1, I command unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is the servant of the church, which is at Gentria. So again, Phoebe's been highlighted out here. Look at verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epaphras, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. So there's some form of recognition that they are uh, counting those people that are with them. Turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 9. This talks about this ordered system of the local body as they organize themselves. And, and, and the thing is, is why, why does the, the, the New Testament not specifically give us all the details for church polity? Because the church formed. But the principles are there. Colossians 4, 9, With Anisimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all the things which are done here. There's a picture appointed to order. So as we define the church local, we're, we, what we're thinking about is a group of people that are gathered together. If they're saved, they're all part of the church universal, but the church at Colossae is different in terms of their gathering locality than the church at Thessalonica. So, one thing I will say, and the definition of the local church is where I think a lot of people get local church wrong. The local church doesn't refer to the church that's closest to you. Like, who, who here goes to their local church? Put your hand up. Uh, no, no, there's... Yeah, one, two. Yeah, we're, we're Milton now. Hey! Three, four. Right, so, but percentage-wise... What was that, about 10% maybe? Maybe a bit more? Something like that? Um, so what am I saying? That the rest of you need to go and find the church that is closest to you because that's the local church. Absolutely not. No. Now, if there was a church that really you could sell doctrinally and, and would work better for you, then go with my blessing. But not... The thing is, the local church is the area that the church is working in, that local area that the church is operating in. 
So again, the illustrations used, you know, if you go and get a, a local anesthetic, it's not the tooth that the, it's closest to the dentist, is it? That would be a shame if they were working at the tooth at the back. It's a specific area. So the local church is a church in Merritt. This is the local church in Milton. That doesn't mean that it has to be local to you. Now, I wish that everybody could go to a church that was on their doorstep, that ticked all the boxes, that served Christ, that loved the Word of God, that loved Israel, that had their eschatology sorted out. I, w- I would love that. Unfortunately, that's not the way. So people have to travel. So when I'm saying local church, it doesn't mean that if you're traveling, I'm, I'm speaking against you. It's, it's just the way it is in today's age, unfortunately. So that's the definition. Let's move on to the privileges quickly. Here's the greatest privilege. You're part of a spiritual family. Now, that you could say that I'm part of a spiritual family in the church universal because I'm in the body of Christ, and you are. But that isn't the same as, as, as here, gathered together. It's just not the same. You know, I, we have spiritual brothers and sisters all over the world. I don't know them. The spiritual brothers and sisters we have here are a, a privilege of being part of a local church that you get to unite uh, with the body that there are brothers and sisters in Christ and, you know, uh, brothers, sisters, many mothers, one father. That's a privilege. It's a privilege. Community is a privilege. That's the local church. You can't do community with the church universal because it is all Christians that are, at the minute, the visible presence of the universal church. It's all believers in the world today. Get together for communion for all believers in the world today. Organize a meeting. Organize a worship. You can't. You can't. That's where the local church comes in. So you become part of this uh, spiritual family. And as part of that spiritual family, you can draw alongside and, and, and people. This is what we should be doing, all of us. And David spoke about it this morning. As older Christians, and I say older, I mean mature in the faith, to draw alongside those who are new in the faith and to build them up and to be able to share with them life experience. To be able to say to them that, you know what, I've been where you've been. And it's hard, but God is good. We need that. You're not going to get that from the universal church. But you can get that from the local church. You get that mutual comfort. Uh, you get the prayers of the brethren. That's what Paul talks about in Thessalonians. Let's turn there. Because, you know, Paul understood local church. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, verse 25. What a little verse this is. What a little verse this is. 1 Thessalonians 5, 25. What does Paul say? Brethren, pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. You can't put a message out to the universal church. And have them all come together for your specific prayer need. But you can't do that for the local church. That we can come and share our burdens. We can bring our prayers to the church. That's a privilege. It's an underused privilege. (laughs) But it's a privilege. It's a privilege. And actually, when we get into obligations, turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Here's one of the obligations. Yeah, we entered into this privilege, but here's the obligation. 
We're the privilege is that people will pray for us, that we can be connected to, that know us, that know our needs, know our character, know our situation, and will pray for us. But here's the obligation, Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So here's an obligation that is you're part of a local church. Here's your obligation. You're to bear one another's burdens. What does this say to me? We're to be burden bearers with each other. What's the problem? The problem is we're not burden sharers. We're not. By default, we want to keep it in, fix it, sort it, keep it in the circle. An obligation of the local church. Think about this. If you do not share your burden, now, let me caveat this. Let me caveat this. There has to be a, a balance in this, right? We don't want everybody falling in the door on a Sunday morning, just weeping and crying and bringing every little single thing. That would be depressing. I, I'm, not, I'm not advocating for that. But what I am advocating for is this, that if you do not share your burden... Get this, hold this thought. If you do not share your burden, you are preventing other brothers and sisters from fulfilling their obligation in the local church. Reframe it. Because here's the thing, we're me, me, me. We're all me, me, me. And we don't want to share, we don't want to fuss, or we don't want whatever it is. But actually, if you can think past yourself, and understand that there is an obligation from us all to bear one another's burdens, but other people can't help bear your burdens if they don't know about your burdens. If your pastor doesn't know, if your friends in the congregation don't know, how can they bear your burdens? They can't. So now everything's out of whack. And rather than releasing your brothers and sisters into a season where they can pray for you, where they can support you, where they can uphold you in and through the commands and presence of Christ, you're holding that back and not allowing them the blessing of being there for you. We're not burden sharers. We're not burden sharers. We should be. This is the local church. This is what it's here for. You know, yeah, I want you to get that. If, if <laughs> Christ knows us. He knows how we function. He knows our frame. He knows our thoughts. He knows our desires. He knows our weaknesses. And he knows that we need the local church. Otherwise, he'd have just left it at the church universal. Away you go, on your own, do your own thing. You're all part of the body. He knows that we need each other. We just don't know that we need each other. That's the fault. That's the problem. So we're to bear one another's burdens. That's an obligation. We're to exhort one another. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you of an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of Sin, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Notice the warning from the writer of Hebrews there. Exhort one another daily so that your hearts don't get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I want you to focus in on two little words there. 
that bring this all together. Verse 13, it says, one another. One another. Can't do that in the church universal. Can't do that in the local church. To build one another up. To help each other. To prevent each other falling off the cliffs, hitting the dead ends, going into the car crash that life can be if we don't have ourselves checked by others. One of the things that I've been learning about uh, this, this week, but I've been very impactful, and, and as I look at this leadership course, and I look at my uh, leadership style, I look at my life and, and everything else, is the, the need for accountability in the pastor's life. Accountability. So that I don't fall into deceitfulness of sin, so that my walk doesn't go out the window. All of us need that. Now, the local church is the vehicle for that. It's an obligation to exhort one another. Hebrews tells us about assembling together. It says, let us consider, this is Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another. It's worth looking at the one another passages throughout the Bible because the clue is you can't do them without one another. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. That's local church. The universal church cannot assemble together. There is a day coming when the universal church will be assembled together. But that is yet future. That is in the realized presence of Christ. But for now, we are to gather, gather together in our local body to serve one another, to edify one another, to build one another up, to care for one another. That's the obligations of the local church. To be patient, to be guarded together. Membership has its privileges, but it also has its obligations. How do I become a member of the local church? And this is different. Because the universal church membership is default. Membership of the local church, as held here, is not default. It is something that you have to seek and come and ask. Turn to Acts chapter number 9, and uh, we'll go through this quickly and we're done. Acts chapter number 9 and verse 26. And, and just think about this as we play it out, as we think about Saul or Paul. Saul is Jewish name, Paul is Roman name. Don't fall down the trap of saying that Paul or Saul became Paul. <laughs> no, just different, uh, different names, Jewish and Roman. It says, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. So here, what does, what does Paul do? He seeks out to become part of them. Let me, let me rephrase that another. He says, I want to be membership with you. Question, is Paul part of the church universal at that point? Yeah, Damascus Road. He's part of the church universal then. Because that's not a go and seek. But here there's a seeking. And here's the other side of of church membership. You have to seek it, but the congregation has to be willing to accept it. Look what it says. But they were afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So Paul wants to be joined together with them. The church here at Jerusalem, the first real uh, local body, wants to 
come to them, wants to be part of them, and they, they're like, no. What speeds the process up for Paul, and if we read on there, look at verse 27, it says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So here, Barnabas steps in. We call this in church membership a letter of recommendation. Somebody to can vouch for them. So we have people that want to join membership and we have to have seen them. We have to know them. We have to um, have seen them display the fruit of Christ in their life. Next Sunday, we want to have some members enter the church. Tom and Tiff want in. We'll take Tom. <laughs> and Tiff. You see? But we know them. We deal with them week in and week out. But Paul wasn't known, but he was seeking to be part of that body. The body wasn't sure about him. There's a recommendation from Barnabas and says, no, 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 he's the real deal. And then verse 28 says, and he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem. He's accepted into that body. That's church membership. A person becomes a member of the local church when they are accepted as such by the local church body. Here it means that you're saved, born again, that you're baptized by immersion, and that you're walking with the Lord. You love the Lord. And then we welcome you into our fellowship. We welcome you into our fellowship. So, the difference, local church, universal church. Universal church, I wish everybody that was here and has listened to me tonight is part of the church universal. That they're saved, they're born again, that they're in the body of Christ. But then when we move to the local church, it's, it's, it's not as widely held. There's no default into it. You have to seek it for yourself and the body needs to be willing to accept you and receive you onto, your, onto their cells. And then you get privileges of being part of the work in a way that you cannot be if you're not a church member. What I mean by that? I mean, you can... You can, if you're not a church member here and you don't like my preaching, you can't do a thing about it. You can't sack me, you can't fire me. Unfortunately, all the rest of the church members can't because we're a congregational body. You have the privilege of helping shape the church and being part of the work in the body. If you're a church member, you have the privilege of, of, of getting my attention more so than people that are not. The members are my priority. That's just the reality of it. Because time is precious, and I need to give my time to the people that are the priority. It's not that I'll, I'll, I'll ostracize those that aren't. That's not what I'm saying. But when the rubber comes to the road, the people that are signed up to membership of the church are the people that I will serve first. That's the way it is. Church membership means that we're aligned, we're, we're in the same page. It means that you sign up to say, I want to be part of this body. I'm happy for this body and for you as a pastor to be able to speak into my life, to challenge me. We can't do church discipline unless you're a church member. We can ask you to leave, but in terms of the corrective process, you know, that's a two-way thing. 
So church membership, it, it, it's a worthy aspiration. You should be desiring to nail your colors to the mast of this church. If you're a regular attender and you're not a member, I'm going to ask you why. What is it that's keeping you back? Oh, I don't want to be accountable. You don't want to be accountable? What does that say about you? Oh, I've been burned before. I appreciate that. Listen, I've heard enough stories now. But does that make it wrong? Every time we get a bad diagnosis from a doctor, do we say, I'm never going to the doctor again, no more doctors in my life? Every time we see a corrupt police officer, do we say, no, the rule of law is flawed, I'm not going to obey any law? No. But when it comes to Christians, say, oh, I've been burned by you know, a dictator pastor or a church that was legalistic and, and just forced me down and weighed me down. I appreciate that that's happened, but if you love the church as Christ loved the church, then he wants you to be part of it, to sign up to it, to be involved in it. So what I'll say in my last words, and simply challenge this, if you're not a member of Milton Baptist Church and you want to be a member, come and speak to me. Don't leave it. Don't let it settle. Come and speak to me and I'll be glad to take you through it and answer any questions that you have about the local church and the importance of being part of it. We'll just close in a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to cement these things in our hearts and challenge us if we need challenge. Speak to us, whatever it may be, Lord. Lord, I do thank you for...